And what's up, guys? It's Josh and Dave with the Adapter Die podcast. We uh, got a good one for you today, talking about nutrition and getting into some inputs in the term of what you're putting in your body to meet a specific goal. So Dave's going to segue us into that a little bit. So yeah, we were talking the other day, uh, Josh, about um, about you personally and some of the goals that you have, some of the stuff that you were working towards in the gym. And um, just for the, the people that are listening, just go ahead and sort of tell me what kind of goals you have and what you're working towards, kind of where you're at and what you'd like to be doing. So I'm entering a phase where I want to do a very, very clean bulk, essentially. To put it in the easiest terms, a very clean bulk. Uh, and understanding that with that, that's going to sacrifice maybe putting on the most amount of muscle, but I'm okay with that because I think where I'm at right now with, from a physique and training standpoint, I think it's more advantageous for me to increase muscle mass while also just really starting to lean out, do a little bit of, uh, of, you know, summer leaning out and, um, kind of also as a way to increase that strength to weight ratio. So I had kind of come to you asking some strategies to be able to do that because obviously getting bigger is going to have some caloric surplus needs. Um, but at the same time, I still want to be training heavy and still getting strong. So I don't want to do too much of that, like super low carb or anything like that. I want to make sure I'm keeping my energy needs up. And, uh, and you had some really interesting strategies for me to accomplish kind of those goals. Yeah, so I'll give a quick bit of background. Uh, I have my master's in exercise and nutrition science, and nutrition, I think, is a really huge part of, of anybody's goal. Uh, I think it's the majority, and I think most people kind of understand that, but I think most people also kind of get lost in the ocean of information that gets Absolutely. out there. Um, and for what you were doing specifically, some of the things that we were talking about, you know, like obviously if you're trying to have um, a bulk, you have to have a surplus in calories. That's obviously the most important thing, but how you do that so that you can do it clean, there's a lot of different strategies there. And if you ask, you know, 10 different um, trainers that have nutrition backgrounds, uh, you may get eight or 10 different answers to that. So I'll give you my sort of two cents on that. Doesn't mean that I'm right. Doesn't mean that I have like the only sort of way to do that. Um, And what I would tell you is exactly what I would tell some of my clients. I'll, I'll sort of set out a general plan, but if it doesn't work, if we sort of get a month in and we're not making the progress that we want to be making, then we can make some adjustments to that. Um, so one of the first things that uh, that we would talk about uh, would be time-restricted feeding. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. For me, one of the main kind of concepts with that is that we can um, we can put your body into a state of, of fat burning during that, let's say we do a 16-hour fast and an 8-hour feeding window. Um, and in an ideal situation, if we're looking at purely purely from a body composition standpoint, uh, what I would suggest is you want to maybe put that workout that you're going to do at the very tail end of that feeding window for a few reasons. Uh, reason one is that you're going to be really low on uh, basically blood sugar. So your body is already at that point going to be burning fat as its main source of fuel. When you start exercising, it's going to go to your, your muscle glycogen for some fuel. Um, and so you're definitely not going to have the explosiveness to do Olympic lifts. You're definitely not going to have stuff uh, or energy for really high intensity stuff. Uh, but that's okay because if you're trying to just add size, I mean, a lot of the workouts you're going to do are going to be hypertrophy based workouts, anyways, and that's okay. 
and it'll take you a little while to sort of adapt to that. But one of the reasons that I really like that is that one, um, putting you in that sort of fat burning state is going to make sure that even if we have that calorie surplus, we're hopefully not going to be storing too much of that as fat. Um, and the other thing there is that when you finish that workout, because you've been fasted for 16 hours, your muscles are going to be so sensitive to, to the protein and, and nutrients that you put into your body um, that, the, you know, it's going to go, they're going to get taken up extremely fast. You know, one of the sort of general benefits of time-restricted feeding or, or intermittent fasting uh, is that you can improve insulin sensitivity. Um, and I think that's a really, really important point for, for what you're trying to do because, you know, one of the other concepts that we may play around with is, is some carb cycling, where on days that you have higher volume stuff, you might eat a higher amount of carbs than days that you're either not training or you're doing sort of a lighter work or a lighter workout. Um, and if you're able to increase your insulin sensitivity with the time-restricted feeding, uh, then your body is going to be able to better partition those carbs anyways. Um, so as an example, sort of for a, a typical day, um, you know, say you have that 16-hour fast at the very end of that fast, you know, the last hour and a half, two hours is when you do your workout. Immediately after that workout ends, you have yourself some, some hydrolyzed whey, straight to the muscles, uh, and I would say within maybe a half an hour to an hour, you have a high-fat and high-protein meal. So something like, like what I do is just three slices of bacon and three whole eggs. Um, for you, since we're looking for that surplus, that'd be a good chance to maybe throw in an avocado, uh, maybe an extra egg or an extra slice of bacon, something like that, just to sort of get the calorie number up. Um, from there, for the rest of that, that sort of feeding window, that eight hours that you're going to have to eat, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty basic. It's pretty straightforward. We got to make sure that you're in a surplus. So, you know, in terms of doing it clean, it's straightforward. You know, it's going to be your vegetables. It's going to be your lean proteins. It's going to be um, those sorts of things. And one of the concepts that we talked about before was kind of separating your fats and carbohydrates. Um, Which I really like this. This makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, <laughs> Chris Seymour, who I, you know, have since realized that you were talking to him about it. Uh, was telling me about it and it makes so much sense and something that I, I really like that I think I can incorporate without having to uh, basically decrease those those calories. Again, that's the tough thing for me is especially with what you're saying in an eight-hour window, there has to be a significant amount of, of food per you know unit of time. So incorporating that, splitting up, carbs and fat, which I want you to definitely go into uh, more now, is something I think is going to be super beneficial for me. Yeah, and it's and it's challenging, right? Because like, you know, one of the things that I like about the time-restricted feeding is that you uh, you have that 16 hours of, of no nutrients, so you sort of are able to, to work on the insulin sensitivity um, on fat burning, and, um, and one of the challenges with it is that it is sometimes tough, especially if you're aiming for a surplus, to get all that food in in that window. Um, but you know, the nice thing is if, if you're able to, to separate the fats and the carbs like we were talking about, and you're able to stomach that amount of food, I think it's really not only possible, but I think it's, um, it's probably the best way from a, from a health standpoint and from a, like you said, from a clean bulk standpoint to being able to do that. So as an example, like if we continue with that, like say your first meal is that, that whey protein shake, you get 30 to 40 grams of whey in there. Um, then you have that bacon and eggs and that avocado. Maybe an hour after that, you have a snack. Maybe you have some dark chocolate, you have some almonds. Maybe an hour after that, you have your uh, your lunch, 
maybe your lunch is, you know, chicken breast, some, some rice, some vegetables. And in that meal, what we're trying to do is maybe get some protein and some carbs together. So that's where the bulk of your carbs is going to come in that sort of middle, quote unquote, lunch, if okay. you will. Um, and the idea there is, is I definitely want you to have the carbohydrates. And again, depending on how intense or how long or how much volume you had in that workout, uh, we can increase or decrease the amount of, uh, of carbohydrates in that um, as an evening or an afternoon snack. You know, maybe we throw in some, some blackberries, some, some raspberries, some blueberries, uh, again, somewhat close to that lunch so that we can sort of lump all of those carbs together more or less. And then in the evening for dinner, um, you know, you have something else that, that's either kind of a combination of either fats and protein or carbs and protein. Uh, and I would say it kind of depends on where you're at with your calories. Obviously, fat is going to give you more calories um, than carbs are per gram. And so if you're, if you're sort of having a hard time making it into that surplus, uh, it's going to be easier if we add in, you know, if we have some version of, um, of fats with the proteins. If you're not having too much trouble and you, let's say, for example, you're not a great sleeper uh, because of the intermittent fasting or just any other reason, um, you know, carbs at night can definitely help you sleep a little bit better. So I might say, hey, it's maybe worth your while to have uh, extra carbs at night. Um, but going back to that point of separating the fats and the carbs, the idea there is pretty simple, right? Your body is really, really good at using uh, each of those two things as fuel individually. It prefers to use glucose first because it's the easiest and fastest thing to break down um, and because it, you know, it stores obviously glycogen in your muscles for high intensity and sort of fast, um, not necessarily fast movements, but when it needs it quickly. And it will go to the fats when it has to in order to survive or when food is scarce uh, or when it's not doing something of high intensity. So, you know, it's sort of what I, I the analogy I use is sort of that two-stroke engine, right? We sort of have a combination of gasoline and, and oil. Um, but the problem is that your body's not great at using both of those for fuel at the same time. Um, so, you know, we, we've seen in studies that when you introduce, you know, for example, carbohydrates to somebody that's, uh, that's largely using fat as their main source of fuel, whether they're keto adapted or whether they're just in a state, you know, they're fasting, so their body has sort of switched over to using fats as the primary source of fuel. When you introduce glucose, the body instantly shifts to using uh, glucose as its main source of fuel and will sort of turn off um, the fatty acid oxidation. That's a problem if you introduce fats and carbohydrates together because now you have this, these fatty acids sort of circulating through your, your bloodstream. You're going to have that insulin response with the, the glucose there anyways, and so that's going to go into your, your muscles and the fat's there and that's going to get taken up as well and your, your body's going to say, well, I can't have this fatty acids floating around, so I'm going to store that as well. Uh, whereas if you have one or the other, if all you have are the carbs, the carbs get used for fuel straight up. Uh, and if all you have are fats, then your body goes, well, I don't have any glucose, so I'm going to use these fats for fuel and I'll just sort of take the longer route of being able to, um, to break those down. Or worst case scenario, it'll take the protein and go through gluconeogenesis in the liver. So... The idea in separating them is just that you you never force your body to have to deal with two substrates at the same time, um, and I think that's I think that's an important point, um, and that's for me largely based on I don't want to say anecdotal evidence because it's definitely based on scientific evidence, but I don't know that I've seen sort of the the hallmark study that says definitively you have to do this. It's just sort of my personal philosophy based on the the, the studies that I've seen that show both carbohydrate metabolism and fatty acid metabolism are decreased in the presence of the other. 
Um, and then from a practical standpoint, when it comes to eating sort of the shitty foods that some people will reach for when they're going to a bulk, you know, the Pop-Tarts, the donuts, the chips, that kind of stuff, where you really get into trouble, where you start to get, a, where you start to get into metabolic trouble and really even health issues in terms of triglycerides and cholesterol and that stuff is when you have like uh, processed carbohydrates and saturated fats sort of sort of mm. together. Anytime you have any sort of oxidation of, of fats um, uh, on a level, you know, that's, you know, that you're going to see when you sort of mix those two processed carbs and, and saturated fats, that's going to be kind of worst case scenario. Um, and I think that's where a lot of a lot of insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome and those things really, really stem from because those, I believe, will promote inflammation in the body and the gut, uh, that sort of low-level chronic inflammation that we're really trying to get rid of. And I should say, as a general rule, my general philosophy towards nutrition, and certainly for you if you're doing this clean bulk, is that. It's a general, pretty low-inflammatory uh, diet or, or anti-inflammatory diet, if you want to call it that. And then, yeah, a lot of it has to do with that, just separating the fats and the carbs. Um, so when you have the carbs, like by no means are we saying it's a low carb diet. It's just about making sure that you time the carbohydrates correctly. Um, and again, some people might tell you, hey, get your carbs. If you're doing something like that, if you're carb cycling, get your carbs around your workout. Okay. Mm -hmm. In, in certain instances, okay, I can see that. Um, but I feel like if we're going to do this in sort of that time restricted feeding in order to help improve the insulin sensitivity and stuff, I don't want your first meal of the day to be carbs. Um, both because I, I just finished reading a study that showed that carbs with your whey protein after your workout don't actually help you, you know, uh, add any more muscle and it may prevent you from burning some fat. Mm -hmm. So because your first meal after your workout or after your feeding window is going to be consisting of protein and fats, your body is then going to burn more fat over the course of the rest of the day because the first meal that you have is based in fats and, and proteins. Um, one drawback you could even say of that is that you're going to be pretty full uh, because proteins and fats are going to they're going to fill you up pretty quick uh, and certainly with fiber as well so by the time you get to lunch when you're having like the, the high fiber you know the rice and the vegetables and that sort of thing and the protein that's going to fill you up a lot as well um, so we got to be sort of cognizant of that but again because i'm looking at sort of the anti-inflammatory properties making sure that we have enough fiber in the diet to make sure that the gut and the gut microbiome is really well taken care of um, because I think in terms of not just muscle building, but also being lean, that's really, really important as well. So, um, so again, there's a lot of concepts at play, but they really break down pretty simply. It's that time-restricted feeding, it's starting your first, uh, your first meal with fats and protein, and then as much as you can, separating the fats and the carbohydrates from each other. Uh, and then I guess if you really want to call it carb cycling, we can take a look at that as well. So four main concepts, but within that you have a lot of flexibility and a lot of room to sort of play around with the foods that you like, things that work for your schedule. And again, it's a process of trial and error. So it's, you know, something we try for, for a month or six weeks, see how the progress is going. If we're not seeing the progress we want, or if you're having trouble getting enough calories or something like that, then we can sort of make some adjustments from there. Heck yeah. I absolutely really, really love it because one of the things you touched on twice was uh, Christian Tabidio talks about, I've told you about this, I really like it, the kind of four pillars of uh, hypertrophy from a holistic health standpoint. And he talks about uh, improving insulin sensitivity, decreasing chronic inflammation, both of which you talked on. And that's something that I really like because I feel like that's going to, again, those are things that are going to help increase the ease with which the body builds muscle, but I'll also help decrease 
or I guess I should say increase the difficulty with which the body puts on fat. So those are kind of two things that, two strategies that are doing the same thing. So again, it's kind of that almost uh, counterintuitive, like, you know, they say it's kind of reserved for bodybuilders that uh, decreasing fat while increasing muscle. But what I really like about what we're talking about is there's certain strategies in place that do actually directly help both by doing the same things. So just to kind of recap, make sure I'm understanding everything you're saying. So eight hour um, feeding window, feeding window yep. 16 hours of fasting. Yep. So first thing I would go on, go into was I just saw something about how uh, cortisol is spiked in the morning, obviously, yep. to kind of help you wake up. Yep. And that cortisol stays elevated until you eat. So with that being said, would what are your thoughts on starting the window as far as a wake-up time? So let's say wake-up time, you know, lately has been about 7 a.m. So where in that window am I ideally going to be starting uh, that eating time? Because the other thing to consider, like you said, was I want to train towards the end of that. Yeah. So if I'm thinking of starting it at eight hours, that puts me right around still maybe even in a little bit of a, oh, that's my most work dense time from dealing with clients. So where, how do you kind of reconcile those things? What are your thoughts on that? So yeah, I mean, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal question. Uh, and I think something that's really important is that you, if you look at any study or if you, if you look at any particular variable, whether that's cortisol or testosterone or amount of protein or timing of food or, or amount of carbohydrates, those sort of things, any of those things in isolation in a single study, you can show here's the optimal situation to use this variable. Um, what no study can appropriately capture and why I tell people that it's always an ongoing process of trial and error is because you can never do all of those maximally or perfectly. So at some point you sort of have to say, okay, I understand that this may not be perfectly ideal in isolation, but in the context of sort of the bigger picture, we're getting, let's say, 7 out of 10 or 8 out of 10 of these variables as good as we can. Okay. Um, and at the same time, we have to think about practicality. Like, So for me personally, I work out from 10.30 to 12.30. My feeding window starts at 1 and goes till 9 p.m. It just so happens that my workday goes from 1 to 8.30 p.m. So that works perfectly. Yeah. So I have time to work out in the morning. Uh, I have my coffee and my green tea in the morning before I do my workout, then I work out, and that works out perfectly for me. So for somebody that doesn't have that same schedule, that may not work for them. They may need to start their feeding window at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. or 10 a.m. Um, or somebody that you know sleeps in late for some reason may need to start their feeding window later, or they may just want to start the feeding window later. So with anybody, and certainly with you, it sort of boils down to like, okay, what's what's ideal for uh, for your goal, and then what's realistic for your lifestyle. Like, you know, when you have clients, uh, like what time do you usually have your first client in the morning when you're... when you're? So first client is usually anywhere from 9 a.m. to 8 a.m., or 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., and what I would honestly like to start doing is training before that. So I've gotten into a little bit of a habit of kind of changing the training time of day a lot, and that's something that I also think would be beneficial to... Uh, to start as some regularity. And that's what I really like about the time-restricted eating is if I'm having a extremely regular sleep cycle where, boom, in bed the same time, waking up the same time, training same time every day, and eating in the same windows, talk about a body being able to adapt really, really quickly. So I think that's a huge point. 
So, so in that case, let's say I want to, in this context, we'll kind of build it around my current week. So if I'm waking up, let's not even worry about the wake up time. Let's work backwards from that. So if my first client is, let's say 9 a.m. and I want to train before that, it takes me about an hour and a half to train. So that's getting into the gym, honestly, closer to 7 a.m. So maybe incre- decreasing the, uh, or moving back the, the wake up time. And then what do you think? In, in that case, would it be ideal to start the, the, the eating window right at wake up? I don't think there's anything wrong with it per se. Um, but I also don't think, right, like we have to think about context again because like everybody is really concerned about cortisol being elevated and we, gotta, we have to turn cortisol down because, you know, it's bad. It's going to make us burn fat. And that's not necessarily strictly true, right? Again, context is everything. Cortisol is actually really, really good for you. And in an acute sense, it will burn fat for you. It will give you energy. It will allow you, like, that's sort of like when your alarm goes off and you're terrified and you're like, shit, I'm half an hour late. Like, you get to get that jolt of energy. You don't need coffee at that point. So in an acute sense, it can be really good for you. And especially when it comes to fat burning, right? So if you're trying to do a clean bulk, that can be a really beneficial thing for you. So it's when it's chronically elevated that it becomes a problem. And if you're doing things to manage your overall stress level, if you're doing things to manage your cortisol levels, like so for example, with my lunch, uh, I always have a pretty tall glass of pomegranate juice. Pomegranate juice is one of the, one of the better things that you can do to, to lower cortisol hmm. um, on a, in a sort of chronic sense. Right, right. Um, and you know, in terms of stress, a couple of minutes of, of like deep breathing um, can cut your cortisol levels in half. Absolutely. And I mean, that's absolutely astonishing. So, so for you, like if you want to do that, I would say, great, do it. Like the thing that I don't want to do is get so bogged down in individual little details that we sort of lose the bigger picture. Because again, I always tell people, if you're thinking about muscle building or muscle hypertrophy as a specific goal, Let's say that there are 60 variables that, that sort of affect that, right? Your sleep, your hydration, your nutrition, the amount and timing of your carbohydrates and your proteins and the macros and your cortisol levels and your testosterone levels and when you work out and how intense you work out. If you consider all of those variables, it's absolutely impossible to get all 60 right all of the time. Right. So what we're aiming for is maybe we can get 40 or 45 of those variables as good as we possibly can. And we don't know even the interplay of a lot of these things together. So we don't know how, like to your point, what you were saying, like having that sort of, um, that really good circadian rhythm set, eating at the same time, working out at the same time, giving your body the same inputs over the course of a long period of time and being consistent with that, I think is one of the very, very best things that you can do. Uh, And being able to eat in a way that sort of matches your circadian rhythm, I think is important as well. So I did just see a study that showed that time-restricted feeding in a four-hour window from 8 a.m. to 12, um, which is basically noon, was really, really beneficial for uh, for decreasing body fat and maintaining and even building a little bit of, hmm. uh, of lean mass. Um, and they didn't look at, at an evening one. I personally do the evening just because, again, it works with my schedule. But again, how much of a difference is it going to make if you eat from, and again, that's just a four-hour window, by the way. So if you were eating from 8 a.m. till 4 p.m. versus like 1 to 9, how much of a difference would it make? To be honest, I don't really know. But it's one of those things where if you try it and it doesn't work, try something else. Um, What I think about is like which of these things makes the biggest difference. And when I think about it, like I would say sleep is huge. Sleep is probably number one. Mm -hmm. Nutrition in terms of like pure calories, like having a calorie surplus is probably number two. 
Uh, and then, you know, sort of the breakdown and timing of, like, your, your fats and your proteins and things may be number three. I guess if we're not counting, like, the intensity of your workouts, because obviously the workouts are going to be hugely important. Right. But, you know, those three or four things, if we can get those three or four things really dialed in, like your nutrition is set, your sleep is set, the workouts are set, you're probably going to get as close as you can possibly get. And really, if you, unless you're at the level where, you know, you need that 2% extra gain, that's when you start to look into like those other things, right? Because that's when we can start to say, hey, maybe it's time for us to do some, some deeper carb cycling and really dive into the macros. Maybe it's time for us to look at the, the feeding window. Maybe we should push it later or earlier. Maybe there are other supplements that we can use to do some, you know, some nutrient partitioning. You know, there's supplements you can take to help you with glucose disposal and that sort of thing. Um, you know, so there's there's minor details that you can start to play around with. But I always tell people you got to get the big rocks first. I was just about to say, pick the low-hanging fruit. That's right. All right, all right. So I like that. So kind of in conclusion to wrap up, my plan moving forward here, being, you know, completely selfish with it, Uh Regulate sleep, which is definitely something I've been working on. Regulate uh, time of day training and regulate uh, time of day eating window. I think that's going to be absolutely huge because I'm really, really uh, invested kind of in that idea of regularity. I think that's huge. And also just kind of like we were talking about, for me, talk, you want to talk about cortisol globally throughout the day. I would feel a heck of a lot stressed if it's I thrive on routine. Mm-hmm. So I thrive on that. Okay, this is when I do this, this is when I do that. And that's just going to promote a, a overall stress-free lifestyle. So even if maybe I'm necessarily not eating right away, again, low-hanging fruit and uh, and regularity is, is going to be key there. Yeah. So so good stuff. I, I really like that. So yeah, I think what we'll do is we'll um, I'll actually get a plan written out. And it's uh, you obviously can't see a plan on, on podcast, but I'll get a plan written out. Um, in terms of these concepts. And I always tell people that. Like For me, it's all about concepts, not rules. Like I feel like you just have to work within the, the, the sort of framework and say, like, listen, we got we to gotta focus big picture. Let's get 80 to 90% of this as good as we possibly can. And we can make tweaks from there. So again, we talk about simple time-restricted feeding. We're going to separate our fats and carbs. We're going to make sure that you're in a calorie surplus. The workouts are going to be set up perfectly for hypertrophy. And... Um, and yeah, we're going to make sure that you're getting your 30 to 40 grams of protein four times a day. Make sure we spike that muscle protein synthesis as often as we can um, and kind of take it from there. That's exciting stuff. That's exciting stuff. So segueing into just global nutrition uh, as far as diets, I think that's a super hot topic right now. Um, so what's kind of a diet you're most interested in or you just find the most interesting uh, you're setting about. me up we're gonna talk about keto <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um yeah i mean keto is super popular it's sort of having its moment in the sun uh i was fortunate enough that uh the lab that i worked in for my master's program did a, had a really heavy focus on the ketogenic diet um but I don't know. And I've done the ketogenic diet. I've done it myself. I had some good results. I lost 10 or 12 pounds. I dropped 3 or 4% body fat. And some of the pluses on the pro side, um, you know, it does. You do go into a fat-adapted state, so you do use fat as your primary source of fuel. And I do believe that that's a, a beneficial state to be in if you're trying to burn fat. Um, however, I think a caveat to that is that if you're constantly feeding your body exogenous fat or fat in your diet you never put your body into a situation where it has to burn its own fat stores so i think 
the absolute in terms of body composition, just pure body composition. Okay. Um, the best thing that you could probably do would be a combination of time restricted feeding and a ketogenic diet because you're using fat as your primary source of fuel. You're giving your body 16 or even 20 hours a day to really be forced to burn its stores of fat, so it's going to burn through them. Um, but a challenge to the ketogenic diet overall is like lifestyle. Is it impossible to do like long term? No. Uh, but it's really challenging. Like for me personally, I did it for about three or four months and it was the summer and I would go out to restaurants with my friends and I'd have to order like a plain chicken breast with ranch and cheese, which like, don't get me wrong. And I love like bacon and cheese. And for a while it was the best thing because I was eating thin cut ribeyes every night with butter and these like keto fat bombs, which were absolutely amazing. And for breakfast, I was having all the bacon and eggs I could handle. I was eating cheese and pepperoni and spinach, like a, a spinach salad that had the... Uh, some mushrooms and some bacon and some chicken and ranch in there. And like, it's very, it's very, uh, pleasing to the taste buds. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when I would go out with my friends, they'd get ice cream or they'd have a beer or something like that. And I couldn't do that. And right. it was literally like, I literally can't have a beer because it kicks me out of ketosis and it's going to take me another three or four or five days to get back into ketosis. So that's my big question is it just seems like it's so essentially difficult to get into ketosis and very, very easy to pop right out of and then hard to get back into again. Like you, uh, a discipline is going to be, seems like it's almost the number one contributing factor to success with it is just how disciplined you're going to be. Because like I said, hard to get into, easy to get out of. Yeah, and I tell people like if you're going to do it, it really is a minimum of, I'm going to call it like a two-month commitment, minimum. Like absolute bare minimum because you need, let's call it two weeks to become fat adapted and to sort of deal with that and kind of get into ketosis. Can you do it faster? Yes, but let's just call it two weeks. And then let's say you need a month to six weeks worth of, of being in ketosis, potentially in combination, like I said, with the time-restricted feeding in order to really see the benefits. You'll see benefits really quickly because your body's going to burn through its glycogen stores. So you're going to lose the water weight pretty quickly. Um, and you're going to sort of look thinner right away, but that's not sort of real fat mm -hmm. loss. Um, and so you get to give it four to six weeks to really see if the results are working. And then if you decide, okay, I'm done with this. I can't deal with not having ice cream or I can't deal with not having beer, whatever it is. Um, then I'd say you need a minimum of a month to maybe two months even, uh, to really start to reintroduce carbohydrates. Cause that's the really dangerous thing. You can't go become fat adapted and then just say, all right, I give up. I'm going to go and go back to my normal diet because you will blow up. Wow. So I, that's something I didn't even think of. So what you're saying is not only is it hard to get into, easy to get out of, but there's significant detriments to be dealt with if you do get into it and then get out of it. You can't just – it's not something that's just switched off. No, but it's no, no, gonna... no, 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 yeah, man, like it's, when you play with your metabolism, you are really playing with fire, mm, mm. uh, it is not, like your metabolism is, is your, it's your life, literally, like, you know, your, your food is your fuel, so for you to, to make a, a drastic change to that and tell your body, hey, I'm not going to give you any more carbohydrates, your only source of fuel is going to be fats, again, this is the whole sort of, kind of, um, premise of our podcast your body only has two responses it's going to adapt to that or you're going to die yeah. uh and your body is really good so it adapts and it creates ketone bodies and your brain because everybody will say well your, your brain needs glucose and that's not true your brain can use ketone bodies for fuel and it can actually use them more efficiently than it can use glucose 
And that's one of the reasons why the ketogenic diet is sort of being researched for uh, like Alzheimer's and, and several other disease states. It's already really, uh, really well researched and well supported uh, in terms of epilepsy, especially in mm. children. Um, and some of that has to do with like the ketone bodies being able to be taken up and used by the brain as fuel, at least in terms of Alzheimer's. Um, so yeah, when you mess with that, man, like in order to get out of that and go back to using, and, and not only that, but again, your body operates on a use it or lose it mentality. So mm. the enzymes and and the, uh, you know, the, um, I guess enzymes is really the main thing that you use to sort of break down the carbohydrates. Your body doesn't need them, so it stops producing them. Wow. So in order to go back to sort of using carbohydrates, then you have to be really slow and really slowly reintroduce that to your body so that your body can start to remember how to utilize that. Like or they call it sort of metabolic flexibility. Um, and it's a really challenging thing. Like your metabolism isn't meant to be very, very flexible. It's meant to be pretty rigid, but you know, people sort of dive into this keto diet and they go, Oh, I'm going to try this because it's the fad thing. I want to lose fat because it burns fat and I can eat all this fatty food. So it's great. And it can be if you do it right. But again, if you just give up on it and say, all right, I'm going to go eat some pizza. You will, I promise you, you will gain extra weight beyond what you started with. You will absolutely gain extra body fat. Because your body's going to be like, well, I don't, I don't have any idea how to deal with these carbohydrates. I don't even have the enzymes to be able to break them down and process them properly. Um, and so, yeah, you can. You, you know, you'll, you'll notice bloating. You'll notice all of this stuff. It has a lot of sort of negative side effects. I don't want to scare anybody off of it because, again, that's if you do it wrong. If you do it right, you can absolutely slowly reintroduce carbs and your body will absolutely go back to normal and you'll be able to use the carbohydrates and be able to go back to a normal diet eventually. It's just a time-intensive process, that's all. And I think that's a piece that a lot of people don't realize. Wow, wow. That's so interesting because that's something I have not seen. Like uh, Mark Bell, uh, uh, the powerlifting, I mean, he, he's pretty awesome in, in my opinion, but I've never heard him talk about that. I've never heard him talk about that user to lose it. And that honestly gets my wheels turning with a lot of stuff down the road. Like, man, does the bot, is there really so many, so much evidence of that? Like, if you don't use it, you lose it. So enzymes, like, like you said, if you're not using an enzyme, enzyme to absorb and break down carbohydrates, your body's gonna be like, okay, we don't essentially need it anymore. So then you take in those carbohydrates and it has no idea what to do with it and just stores it as sludge and wow very very interesting that's good stuff yeah it's uh it's definitely the the sort of um fad diet of the moment uh and again i I don't think it's i don't think it's ever appropriate for a high intensity athlete uh i've had some clients some overweight clients use it with great success i had a woman lose 40 something pounds doing the ketogenic diet for me personally the issue was the social aspect it was really challenging Mm -hmm. for me to enjoy my life socially while being on the ketogenic diet. Uh, in terms of like your blood lipid profile, your triglycerides, your cholesterol, it can be pretty beneficial for that. There's some evidence that you may raise your bad cholesterol. It depends on the sources of the fat that you get. You can't just go out and eat all kinds of, uh, of you know, trans fats and right. any kind of fat that you want. Right. Now, I don't want to, because you absolutely can, without processed carbohydrates, you absolutely can eat as much saturated fat as you want. And you, I, I don't believe that we'll have any negative cardiovascular effects or anything like that. You're not going to increase your risk of cardiovascular disease or anything like that just because of the saturated fat. But if you're mainly focused on like, you know, uh, monounsaturated fats, you know, the olive oils, the avocados, the almonds, those kinds of things, um, you can improve those sort of triglycerides and the, the HDL and LDL levels 
if you're not careful about that and if you are going really, really heavy on the, the saturated fats and you're not doing too well with the fiber and things, yeah, you can have some other adverse effects. So there are some some things to really consider, and it, it is worthwhile for people to do research. You can't just sort of dive in and say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a go and, um, and kind of sort of wing it, so to speak. But... Um, but it is really, really interesting and definitely something we'll have to talk some more about. Yeah, phenomenal stuff, man. I think we're going to have to uh, do a little part two on this nutrition. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, I want to get into some thoughts with uh, like uh, veganism versus the carnivore diet. Definitely something I'm invested in and, and interested in. But uh, wow, some really good stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as, uh, as I did. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys again next week. Take care. Be good.